Welcome to a special Lost episode of the Longbox Crusade. I'm one of your hosts, Jared Albrecht, the art sale artist, a.k.a. Death Probe, and I'd like to invite you back in time to September of 2017 when we originally recorded this episode. If you're super familiar with our show, you'll remember that last December we ran a 12-day special series, counting down to Christmas Day, called the 12 Days of Crusademus. In order to make that tight release schedule, planning and execution of that series began right around the time of this recording. And this episode of the Longbox Crusade got pushed way to the back burner and nearly forgotten about. It's a nice coincidence that this episode features an Indiana Jones comic book since, like a good group of archaeologists, we dug this one up from the catacombs of history and now we can bring it to your ear holes. Please bear with us since this was a while back and we were still ironing out some of our audio technology issues. You'll probably hear some distortion and a lot of sniffles due to these issues that are mainly made up of Weasel's call not realizing that he could mute his microphone when not speaking. Also, this is a notable first in the Longbox Crusade history as this is the first official Longbox Crusade episode that the Dark Web appears on. But that's it for my pre-show chat. Sit back and enjoy this Longbox Crusade lost episode. You'll know it's time to turn the page when you hear the whip crack like this. Welcome to episode of the Longbox Crusade, a podcast where each episode a random date and year is chosen by our listeners, and then an issue is selected from the over 20 plus long boxes that have been collected over the last 40 plus years and stashed away in my basement. Then each host will bring in an issue from their long box from that random date and year to find out what's in your long box. Each episode we will summarize, review, and reminisce about the issues, ads, and events of that period. I'm the host, Pat Sampson, and with me is Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Bad. It's a prescription for danger. Say hello, Jared. Hello, hello, and thanks for having me back again. I love the Long Box Crusade. It's always a pleasure having you on it. And joining us also, too, is Jason Albrecht, another host. Who are you going to call? Weasel Skull. Yeah, I was supposed to say Weasel Skull. Weasel Skull. Oh, Weasel Skull. Weasel Skull. <laughs> I don't know. Dark Web. Yeah. Speaking of that, yeah. Speaking of the Dark Web, we're going coast to coast this episode with Jason on the West Coast and our very own Delvin, the Dark Web, hanging out on the East Coast now. How's it going, Delvin? Who are you going to call? Oh, wait. I, I didn't have anything to say. <laughs> Weasel Skull! I got it! Weasel Skull. Oh, yes, yeah. Why don't we get into what we all came here to listen to, and that's what crusade are you currently on? Let's start with Jared. I've probably had this crusade in the past, but I'm doing art, art, and more art. I had a very successful show up in uh, Dragon Con in Atlanta. I sold out of almost all my original art, so a big shout-out. Anybody who's listening to the show who also came out to support or supports my art in any way, just a big thanks to all you guys. It was a wonderful show, and I got to make some product, man. I got more cons to do, so... I'm actually doodling as we podcast right 
right now. Cool. Jason, how about you? As the fans probably know, Adam West TV's Batman recently passed away. What folks may not know is that he was from Walla Walla, Washington, out my stomping grounds. And the city of Walla Walla is doing a Batman tribute. And there's going to be some festivities. The Batmobile's going to be there. They've got some special guests lined up. And that's going to conclude with the lighting of the bat signal as they dedicate a park to the departed Adam West. As Jared will attest, the Batman television show was a big part of our lives growing up. When I was in grade school, ran home every day after school to catch the adventures of uh, Batman and the Boy Wonder. And it just seems fitting for this crusade to go out and pay our respects to somebody who meant so much to us in the comic book world. So that's my crusade coming up next week. Cool. Sounds very interesting. Neat to know that he was up around in that area. I didn't know that. I just found that out myself. Came kind of as a complete surprise. I was listening to Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith has a podcast. They were talking about it. And I said, hey, I had no ideas from Walla Walla. I should get out there and pay my respects. So that's what I'm doing. Cool. Nice. Delvin, how about you? What crusade you got going on? My crusade has been moving. I'll keep it comic book related. You know, when you move, and I've been having my comic books mailed to me from a place in Durham, North Carolina, that Jared recommended years ago. And I've been getting comic books from them since then, being a loyal customer. But, you know, when you move, things get a little bit out of order. That said, I just read the end of the Marvel series Secret Empire. It's their whole universe-spanning series that's been going on and had some controversy some months ago because uh, it was portraying Cap as what people were saying a Nazi, but he was Hydra. Mm -hmm. And this issue, without spoiling too much, featured the return of Captain America. And in that book, it had this picture of Captain America coming back. And the book was drawn by Steve McNiven. And this picture of him, he looked so pissed, but like angry and iconic. And it was like, holy crap, Captain America is back. And it was tingling inducing just seeing that picture. McNiven is a fantastic artist. That's probably the best picture that I've ever seen him draw. I just thought it was that iconic. To me, that was amazing. The book was great and the series was really good too, but that picture, man, it really did stand out. That's all over with now that... I think they have an Omega issue. I haven't gotten it. I get my new comics every two weeks, so I might get it in my next shipment. I picked up the Omega issue just today. Okay. I haven't read the Omega issue yet. Is that something different or... No, it's the same one. You know, like sometimes if they want to kind of have like an epilogue in the book, they'll just call it Omega. This sounds a little cooler than just saying epilogue and it gives them a chance to sell another book and it kind of wraps everything up in a nice little bow but launches off into the other series. Alright, I didn't know that. I didn't know they called them Omegas. Not all the time, but they've done it a lot in the X books. They'll have the start of whatever mini series that they have. They'll call it Alpha and then the end of it, they'll call it Omega. Uh, you know, okay. just a jumping on and um, An ending. jumping on. Hmm. Yeah, I remember them doing that with Age of Apocalypse yeah. series. They had the Alpha that launched it and then the Omega there at the end. Yes, sir. Oh. Cool. I don't read comics. No, and that's why we'd have you on just to help out with the <laughs> just... the non-comic book related stuff. <laughs> well, I suppose you guys have been waiting to know what my crusade is. Lay it on us, oh, brother. What boy. you been doing? Just doing a lot of editing, trying to read some comics. Really don't have that much of a crusade. I think I'm just trying to hang in there right now. Hey, sometimes that's a crusade yeah. itself, dude. <laughs> Getting by day to day. Well, that's my crusade. Not much to say, but should have gave it more thought, but I guess I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good show. <laughs> 
as you, uh, and that's way, way, to bring, gonna, way to bring that energy. Yeah, back. So that's probably why I'm I'm burnt out. So <laughs> just to get you know. Well, you've had a you've had a big weekend. You went to a concert in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yep, I saw weekend. pictures on Facebook. Yeah, what concert? Ed Sheeran. I took my daughter and a friend oh, to nice. go see Ed Sheeran. Yep, that guy is talented. Nice, dude. I just recently got into him. He's super talented. He's great to listen to. Well, you should see him live. Just crazy. He does it all by himself. Nice all the beats and all that. It's just, it's an amazing show. I recently got into his music. Because, like, um, a friend of mine on Facebook, she just is crazy about him. He had just came out with a new CD. I listened to it and was like, wow, this is really good. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you get a chance to look him up on the YouTubes and see some of his live stuff, how he just builds the music up. I will. I will do that, sir. Anybody out there, and all you listeners, go do it. But listen to this show do first. Yeah, finish this. Yeah, yeah, finish this thing. Yeah. So basically, three hours from now, when you're done with this long box episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> go listen to Ed Sharon. Yeah, I did that. What else did I do? Yeah, the soccer, soccer game. game. This morning. Yeah, I keep up with your schedule. Yep, yep. I keep Jared a brisk of my comings and my goings. That's right. That's the life of Pat. Living, living that Pat life. Living large. It's not for everybody. Only one person can do it, and that's me. <laughs> I think we're here to do a show, so why don't we get started with that? Let's get into the show. So we invite you to be a part of the show by submitting your comments and memories, which will be read later on in the show. And boy, do we have some. All links and pictures for this episode will be in the show notes, which can be found at the website longboxcrusade.com. Please add the podcast to your favorite podcasting feed or on iTunes. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter by the handle at Longbox Crusade. We hope you come along with us on this crusade to... Read them all. Read them all. Read them all. Find out what's in your long box. Oh, not not most of them. Not some of them. All of them. Read all of them. There we go. So now, before we get started with this episode's issue, let's take a quick podcast promo break from a friend of the show, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Batman. Whenever I lose my memory, I head over to the BatmanUniverse.net and check out the podcast, Bat Books for Beginners. The Bat Books for Beginners podcast breaks down and analyzes all of my adventures so I can remember how to get to the Batcave, which Robin I'm working with, and where I parked the Batmobile. Chris and Jerry, the hosts of Bat Books for Beginners, are honest about how well I'm serving the citizens of Gotham Sometimes, too honest, I'll have to talk to them about that. If you wake up one morning and think you might be Batman and have just lost your memories, go over to the BatmanUniverse.net or iTunes and check out Bat Books for Beginners. Now, if I could just figure out who this old man cleaning the Batcave is, that would be great. I asked my friend Scott Snyder and he didn't know. Don't be a supervillain. Visit the BatmanUniverse.net and listen to Bat Books for Beginners, also on iTunes. You'll be glad you did. Bat Books for Beginners is part of the BatmanUniverse.net Bat Family of Podcasts. Don't listen to Bat Books for Beginners when operating heavy machinery or juggling. If you listen to Bat Books for Beginners for more than four hours, call your doctor. Bat Books for Beginners is part of a balanced diet. Welcome back from the break. We hope you enjoyed the promo for... Bat Books for Beginners. Now let's get started with the show and the first segment called What's in Your Lawn Box. First up, we're going to have Jared. 
Tell us what's in your long box. My selection for this was what June. Yeah, this yep. is June of 1984. Is Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars number two is made obviously by Marvel and its on sale date was actually February 28th of 1984, but it's got a cover date of June 1984. Cover price of 75 cents, 32 pages, edited by Thomas P. DeFalco, Rock Me Amadeus Ooh. himself, written by Jim Shooter, penciled by Mike Zek, inked by my good friend Juan Biotti, letter Joseph Rosen, colorist Christy Scheel, and the cover was done by Zek and Beatty as well. If you mention best maxi series of all time, I think this one floats to the top. Pretty much like this in Watchmen, if I'm not mistaken. Great, great 12-issue series. And this, like I said, for June of 84, it was number two, so the series was just kicking off. I'll describe the cover real quick for those who aren't familiar with it. It's basically got front and center, taking up pretty much the whole thing is Magneto, and he's like showing his bulging muscles. He's like, check me out. I'm awesome. Beefcake. <laughs> Beefcake. <laughs> That's right. It was like a 90s pose before 90s poses were cool. It was very extreme, you know, with the gritted teeth and he's showing his muscles and there's various sort of floating heads that all look very worried of the heroes going on around the borders like Human Torch, Mr. Fantastic. Miss Marvel, was she going by that? that Monica Rambo. Yes, I think she was Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Monica. That's right. Captain Marvel. And then Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, Spider-Man, Cap, Hawkeye, She-Hulk, The Thing, and I think that's the wasp on the top right. Yeah. I, got, I have a thing for the She-Hulk. So anyway, it's a great cover. Of course, pretty much anytime you team up Zach and Beatty, you're going to get a great cover, which is weird because I think there might be another Zach Beatty cover in our future for this episode. I think so too, yeah. Good looking cover. Unless you guys have anything to add or maybe you don't agree. You know, Maybe you don't like the cover. You're un-American. I don't know. <laughs> I like it. I think it's really eye-catching. I think so. I mean, I think that the previous issue, issue number one, is probably one of the most iconic covers of all time. And yeah, this number two just falls right in line with it. It's a great cover. It is good stuff. Number two's title is called Prisoners of War, and basically a quick rundown is as follows. No sooner have the band of heroes got their wits about them on Beyonder Planet than they are attacked by a huge gang of villains led by Kang. Noticeably missing from the battle is Doctor Doom, as he's off doing what Doctor Doom does. He's planning for the long game by attempting to ally with ally? Ally? Ally. Partner. He's attempting to partner (laughs) with an ambivalent Galactus and an eager Ultron. The heroes win the day and take refuge in their newly found headquarters, and Magneto is also seen solo, much like Doom plotting for the long game. Magneto briefly invades the hero HQ and kidnaps the Wasp. The Thing tries to stop Magneto, but ends up falling short because one of his greatest wishes comes true at the most inconvenient time. He returns to his human form. And just as Galactus starts gearing up to consume the Beyonder planet. That's issue two. Sweet. Thank you. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. It's a good book. Every comics fan, if you haven't read Secret Wars, read Secret Wars. Well, that was also when it was an event when they did something like this, like a huge event. Now Marvel kind of got once a year an event like this, which kind of lessens the impact, but not at the time that they did Secret Wars. Yeah, you're absolutely right. These were really special back in the day. This was like your summer popcorn movie. You know, there's not a ton of plot to the Secret Wars storyline. They took most of the main heroes and most of the main villains. They contrived some deus ex machina to put them on this battle planet 
planet and have them go toe to toe with each other. But you know what? It was great. And the writers still managed to put a lot of heart and a lot of character into these stories, even if the plot was a little bit thin. Just goes to show Marvel, when they're at the top of their game, this is what you get. It's a lot of fun indeed. I mean, we think about Secret Wars, think about the Black Spidey costume, the thing finally being able to return back to his human form, Colossus falling in love with that alien lady, uh, what was her name? Sashi or Seijai or something like that. And the ramifications are felt back in the main Marvel Universe when they come back. So yeah, this is only number two in a 12-issue series, but there's a lot that goes on in here. It's beautifully written, beautifully drawn, just a great book from a great series. Word. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you remember when we had that Secret Wars game, Jared? The role-playing game? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, dang, yeah, we we had some fun with that. Yeah, if you've ever looked it up on eBay, it's expensive now. (laughs) Oh, I I have, yeah. I was like, I'm going to get that game again. Yeah, I did did the same thing. I was like, uh we get this for Jason for Christmas. No, I'm not. (laughs) No, you're never going to see it. (laughs) Yeah, but I was the same way, man. I was was like, oh, well, day's gone by, I guess. She held on to that. I I like Jared. I don't love Jared. (laughs) Oh, why? (laughs) What's it go for on the dark web, Delvin? Maybe we can get it that way. Three pity. (laughs) (laughs) And you gave the perfect comedic answer. Congratulations, Delvin. Did it again. Go ahead. Clap for yourself. You've earned it. I'll clap for him, too. There we go. (laughs) Hey, Delvin. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, any more discussion on the the secret wars before we move on? No. Anybody who busts out the phrase deus ex machina, they are the game ender for all discussion. (laughs) I I had nothing else to say. He just took the words out of my mouth. (laughs) Secret wars was good, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> good ass man good ass Jason's always bringing the words well why don't we go on to the next one is for what's in your long box and that brings it up to me so for June 1984 another issue in my long box is G.I. Joe a real American hero number 24 imagine that nice. me having a G.I. Joe that's weird Yeah. this was published by Marvel actually came out March 13th 1984 with a cover price of 60 cents page count was 32 editor is Dennis J. O'Neill writer Larry Hama Artist, Russ Heath. Letterer, Rick L. Parker. Colorist, George Rousseau. Thank you, Delvin. You're welcome. Cover credits is Mike Zek and inker Juan Biotti. <laughs> oh, yes. John. John Beatty. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, John. Every time. I was told I had to do it that way. <laughs> you got to every time. If you're lucky like me to have this issue in your hands as a kid, I think I got this off the spinner rack at the PDQ, I believe. I was able to have it in my hands at that time. Looking on the cover, nice. we see Cobra Commander is flying over on a jet pack which we know as the claw toy, while Robok is tackling Storm Shadow with Duke coming out right behind him from a fortress. Now, this issue is got a title of The Commander Escapes. Huh, I wonder what happens in that <laughs> issue. <laughs> it's hard to tell what happens in this one, but... I don't want to give away too much. Any thoughts on the cover, guys? It's an uh, awesome cover. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's got a lot of action and movement, I think. That yeah, it's... it's something that strikes out. I mean, you got like a series like G.I. Joe, you wouldn't expect in this very special issue. Duke talks with his feelings about Lady J. You know, it, 
<laughs> no, it's going to be guns blazing, and that cover reflects that a whole lot. I tell you, this is one that sticks in my mind. I remember picking this one up and reading it multiple times. And the thing that got me on the cover was Roadblock just pasting out Storm Shadow there. Mm-hmm. When I was reading it back then, Storm Shadow was kind of like the ultimate bad guy badass. Right. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, it's going to be Roadblock taking on Storm Shadow. That had to come home with me. And I read this story multiple times. It's awesome. I'd say this is one of my iconic covers for G.I. Joe. Is it a G.I. Joe iconic cover? Mm-hmm. I think so. I don't know. Well, what you I, don't, think, yeah, I think so. In my own mind, it is. I'd say in the pantheon of G.I. Joe covers, I'd say this is just kind of off the cuff without giving a lot of thought to it. I'd say it's probably a top 15, maybe a top 10 cover. I'm looking at it really for the first time. All right. And, you know, ignoring Cobra Commander, you got three characters you're seeing that are on the ground, particularly Roblox and Storm Shadow. They look realistic. Mm-hmm. It looks like somebody could be a commando like Roblox tackling a ninja that could look like Storm Shadow does. And that's pretty cool. You know how sometimes they exaggerate the human form and everything? That's, that's not the case here. This looks just like a very well-drawn two human beings in an action pose. And I think that's cool. Yeah, it looks like somebody could have just snapped the picture at that particular moment it could have come off of any football game or right just uh it's a great yeah. great action shot i agree with jared i think this is easily top 15 i'm thinking of some of the covers that i remember and and again maybe it's just me personally but this one jared was kind enough to send this digest to me in the mail and i saw that on the back of the digest i was like oh yeah i remember that issue and i remember what happened mm-hmm. in that issue yeah but, i feel the same way looking at this cover i, I knew what this whole issue was because I read it so many times and just by the cover I knew, I knew what was going to happen in it. And the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the title, the, the, but the title's not on it. <laughs> Speaking of the title, the title is, and I said it before, but it's The Commander Escapes. Let me give you a brief short synopsis. A group of Joe's guarding Cobra Commander have parachuted onto a plateau high in the park range of the Rocky Mountains. They have their supplies dropped to them from a cargo plane. These supplies come in large crates, one marked as the prefab fortress, the other unmarked. Duke makes the commander help them put together the fortress. Elsewhere, Major Blood and the Baroness have returned to Cobra headquarters with Destro starting to work on a plan to take over Cobra. But they first have to get rid of both the Cobra commander and his loyal ninja, Storm Shadow. Major Blood tells them that he planted a homing device on Storm Shadow's sword handle and they decided to send Wild Weasel and Firefly to track the homing device and kill him. However, the ninja is already on his way to rescue Cobra Commander. Storm Shadow has found the commander in the Rocky Mountains by determining the cargo plane's flight range that was spotted returning to the airbase by a Cobra spy. Back at the prefab fortress, Cobra Commander shows off some of his helmet's features. He neglects to tell the Joes, though, about the short-range radio receiver built into it, which is keeping him in contact with Storm Shadow. Storm Shadow tells the commander that he is on his way and to have the Joes take him outside for some fresh air. The Joes grant his request only to be ambushed by Storm Shadow flying a claw under the radar. As he carries the commander away, Roblox manages to shoot one of the fuel tanks. Storm Shadow lands the claw and stays behind as the commander takes off alone because there is only enough fuel left to carry one person. Duke opens the unmarked crate that was holding a Skyhawk and takes off after the claw. Gung Ho and Roblox track down Storm Shadow, but Gung Ho gets slashed in the back. Roblox tackles Storm Shadow and puts a smackdown on Storm 
Storm Shadow. Two Fang Copters are launched from the Cobra cargo plane to escort the Commander back. Duke takes out the two Fangs with a Skyhawk. However, the Commander makes it back to the cargo plane. Duke follows in the Skyhawk, but is not able to stop the cargo plane from leaving. Back at the Prefab Fortress, the Joes find a mailing receipt on Storm Shadow, addressed to Chokolisk... Chok... Chokoloski? 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 Yeah, that sounds right. Chokoloski... <laughs> Florida. Someplace in Florida. Yeah. Unknown to the Joes, Wild Weasel and Firefly have followed Storm Shadow's homing beacon to Chokoloski, mailed specifically to the lair of Zartan. Dun, dun, dun. Zartan. <laughs> Delvin got it. Anybody got any thoughts on this issue? That seems incredibly complex for 22 pages. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to G.I. Joe. <laughs> it was. It was a good story. Larry can pack in so much story into was it 22 pages? My quick thoughts, this is G.I. Joe in the 80s all-in-one package. It's everything you want. It's ninjas, it's roadblock, it's fang helicopters, mm-hmm. Cobra Commander wearing a jetpack, secret transmission devices. Well, you had the cool uh, toys. Yes. You had, uh, the claw, which is cool jetpack. I had that. Then you had the Skyhawk. Love that. Yep. Skyhawk was cool, yeah. Yeah, the Skyhawk was a cool toy. It just oozes 80s G.I. Joe, which to me is wonderful. And Snake Eyes isn't in this issue. Well, he's a sneaky ninja. You know, he may yeah. be. Ah, nice. <laughs> Larry did a cool thing about I think by teaming up the fight being like on the cover yeah. Roadblock and Storm Shadow because you got Storm Shadow who's was a ninja of ultimate caliber like Snake Eyes but you got a guy like Roadblock who's just a street fighting muscle bound dude I mean everybody wants to see that fight mm-hmm. yeah this Storm Shadow's got the techniques but Roadblock can take the hits and if he lays one on you you're gonna know it you know so it's a cool matchup that you don't get to see a lot because like we said it's always Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow or it's like Storm Shadow and Spirit on the cartoons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I love that panel where Roadblock is marching back victorious. He's got that 50 cal machine gun <laughs> in one hand. He's carrying gung hose wounded and dragging the busted up storm shadow through the snow. I was like, MVP Roadblock, this <laughs> issue, man. He did it all. And I thought, too, it was kind of funny when they had Cobra Commander bolt together the fortress. I just thought it would have been funny if, like, during battle, like, the walls fall down. He'd be like, ha suckers. <laughs> Look at these. <laughs> <laughs> I conveniently forgot this piece. Yeah, was these important? <laughs> <laughs> so long, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> you okay. get your forts from IKEA. <laughs> Anybody else got any thoughts on this one? The only other thought that I have on it is I grew up playing with Transformers. I played with G.I. Joe a little bit, and it's the same thing with the comic book. I read plenty of Transformers comics growing up, but I didn't read a single G.I. Joe issue ever. Boo. Like, you know? <laughs> boo, boo you, sir. Boo. Oh, <laughs> come back. I'm saying that only to say I'm impressed with the level of detail that went into the comic book. You can tell that the writers, they could have phoned it in, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, these are toy characters bashing into each other, but they didn't. And you can tell that just even hearing the synopsis. I just think that's pretty cool. So, Delvin, you haven't read a G.I. Joe issue? No, man. No? Right. I haven't. Interesting. Would this get you interested in doing it? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even have anything against it, say, as a kid. It was just my thought was, hey, I like Transformers. And I just never even thought to look at G.I. Joe comics. Hmm. But yeah, I would definitely read them now, particularly if the synopsis that's given on this one that sounds pretty damn cool. What if I told you that there was. I've always wanted to hold you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't know him that well yet, but (laughs) maybe in a year. Maybe in a year. 
What if I told you that G.I. Joe and Transformers had a comic together? Oh, yeah. He's got them. I think oh, I yeah. bought them at a pawn shop and then mailed them to him when I finished reading them. The big reveal for the Transformers is that Bumblebee got all blowed up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bumblebee yeah. got blowed up in that miniseries. So you have read some, Joe. Fair enough. I have read some. Because so you're I just know- a liar. Yeah. I'm not a good person. Caught you. (laughs) My own mama don't like me. It's true. (laughs) No, so that was about your only exposure to them then? Yeah, man. No straight G.I. Joe comics. And they had a much longer run than Transformers did. The original Transformers run was like 80 issues. And G.I. Joe went to like 150s or something? 155. See? Dude, that's impressive by any standard. I'm I'm the opposite. I haven't read a lot of the Transformer stuff. So I want to kind of get into that because that's kind of piqued my interest as well. Maybe we need to do a little swap. I think everybody's mom would buy them one comic. So if you were getting the Transformers, you were stuck with transformers and we were getting gi joe so yeah, that's true you know yeah. it's one of those hard limited, choices yeah limited uh funds at the time that's right oh yeah, oh, yeah. Well, i'm glad we get to know a little bit more about delvin heck yeah that is a road you do not want to <laughs> go down <laughs> <laughs> like I said, if this piqued his interest a little bit, basically in the 20s and the 30s are really some really good issues. It's that strongest period, I think, of G.I. Joe. Yeah. Pretty much with the Zek Beatty covers. <laughs> that's kind of yeah, right. like how you know you're in the sweet spot. Yeah. Okay. We'll get you a Joe fan. That's right. We're going to get him hooked on G.I. Joe and Star Wars for us all over. One out of two ain't bad. <laughs> that's, that's almost like 20%. Yes. That's- <laughs> We'll get it worked out. Well, Delvin, why don't you tell us what's in your long box for June 1984? Right. Uh, my long box was Uncanny X-Men, Volume 1, Issue 182. The editor-in-chief was Jim Shooter. An automatic. The cover artists were uh, John Romita Jr. and the inker was Dan Green. Writer was Chris Claremont. Pencils were John Romita Jr. Colors Glennis Ween. Letters Tom Orzachowski. Editors was Louise Jones, Ann Nocenti, and Peter Sanderson. The main character on the cover would be Rogue, and she hadn't made that official jump into a X-Men costume yet. So she's decked out in orange, and she has green gloves on. She has a black leotard and green boots. She's kind of like in her strong woman pose and she's being shot at by some person off of the camera lens of the cover. Behind her, it kind of has like some almost like a havoc looking aura, even though I'm sure she didn't have havoc's powers absorbed at the time. And below her or at her feet are a couple of people that she's defeated. So the image given is that it seems like she's been on the warpath and that this person is defending him or herself against Rogue. Complete me a culpa here. The synopsis that I'm going to read here is from Marvel Wiki. I have no idea who wrote it, but I wanted to at least say it was from Marvel Wiki and give that person credit, you know, so if someone's listening, they don't think that, you know, we're trying to rip them off. Synopsis for this book. Rogue is flying back to the United States following the X-Men's return from Battleworld, ahead of the others to check on the remaining X-Men that were left on Earth and the New Mutants. Rogue arrives at the mansion and begins checking the answering machines. He receives a panic call from Madeline Pryor, who was calling to tell the X-Men that her husband, Scott Summers, had gone missing. Rogue knows that he was transported to Battleworld and presumes that he was returned to her when they were all returned home. The next message is from Colonel Rossi, a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who was a colleague of Professor X. Rossi has confirmed one of their suspicions. His call is cut off when someone gets a jump on him. Rogue would fly off to save him, missing an important message from Ilyana Rasputin. 
telling that the White Queen had kidnapped Kitty and Doug Ramsey and that she and the New Mutants were going to rescue her. Man, there are a lot of things going on on that day. Um, <laughs> aboard the Shield helicarrier, Rossi is being roughly interrogated for answers to why he was caught looking up information about the Hellfire Club. One of these interrogators, a spy working of the inner circle, goes back to report to Sebastian Shaw and confirms his identity. Shaw orders him to eliminate Rossi before he is visited by a mental projection of the White Queen, who informs him that she has the new mutants under her thrall and asks if he would like to see Xavier's novice students. Meanwhile, Rogue manages to break aboard the shield helicarrier by flicking a nickel into its radar bay with her super strength. Breaking in, she trashes some of the security systems closing off blast doors so that the shield operatives do not have an easy time stopping her. She manages to get Rossi just before the inner circle spy can assassinate him. When she tries to revive the heavily beaten Rossi, she begins talking in a different voice and in a way that speaks of a long friendship. Rossi, barely conscious, recognizes the voice but cannot believe he's hearing it. I'm going to fast forward a little bit here. It was Carol Danvers' voice and she realized that she had absorbed a little bit more of Carol Danvers' memories than and she had intended, and I think that's a good place to stop. All right, boy, there's a lot going on in this one. And dude, I stopped. Like there are like a couple more paragraphs, and I'm like, good God, whoever wrote this, this may have been Claremont. <laughs> I was gonna say it was Claremont. We'd understand. Yeah, Claremont. Words, 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 words. <laughs> But yeah, it looks like it was post-Battle World, so it ties right into what your Secret Wars synopsis from 84. Now, you're reading it at this time, right? In 1984? No. Oh. I have collected that just as a part of my past collection. Oh, okay. As of 1984, I was not reading comics. I didn't start reading comic books until the following year. Okay. So I went back and collected this at some point, probably during college when Jared and I met. It's kind of interesting to see that Claremont still, for issue 182, he's still writing this especially since we've started the crusader chronicles going through the x-men at that time during the time of this recording we are what like in issue 97 98 i think yeah yeah boy there's a lot going on dude chris claremont wrote i know all the way up until at least issue 275 wow. he wrote forever <laughs> yep <laughs> of course that's part joking but the dude gets his credit because when it comes to from the new x-men on I mean, he resurrected that mm-hmm. book. I think I've said that on Crusader Chronicles. Yeah. He resurrected that book. There weren't a ton of different offshoot of X titles like there are today. It was like Uncanny X-Men. And then when they spawned X-Factor, I think Chris Claremont wrote that too for a little bit. So yeah, he wrote X-Men for a while, man. Jason, were you um, reading this at the time then, being the X-Fan? I started with the X-Men just a little bit after this. Like Delvin, I went back and collected it later. I think I started reading around issue 194, the first one I remember picking up. But so yeah, this was just a little bit before my time, but I have read it a couple times. Anybody else have any thoughts on this one? It really ties back into what we were talking about earlier with the Secret Wars. I mean, the impact of Secret Wars carried through the main titles. I think this was a great solo X-Men story focused on Rogue, who was really just starting to become pretty popular at that time. I think it also was pretty critical to the point that Delvin made where she 
had accidentally absorbed more Carol Danvers' powers than she had anticipated. More effects of that as the storyline progresses. But yeah, I think this was a really good issue. I wasn't collecting X-Men at the time. For quite a while, I wasn't. So I'll add one more thing. We were mentioning iconic duos. You got Chris Claremont and John Romita Jr. Mm -hmm. John Romita has been around the business. Good God. I mean, his dad was around in the 60s. And I think Romita Jr. probably at least early 80s until the present. He's still drawing now. And yeah, I mean, the dude is a comic book legend of his own. I mean, his dad is like Pantheon, but John Romita Jr. has to be at least second level. I mean, because once you get past that Pantheon level, you're not going to break that probably ever, you know, with like the Stan Lees and John Romita Sr. And whoever, I mean, there's definitely others, but his son would definitely be that next level. Yeah, he's one of those guys that when you pick up a comic that John Romita Jr. is drawn, you know right away who it is. His style is very unique. I remember him, and Delvin, you'll probably remember this a little bit better too, his run on Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. um, oh gosh, that was just fantastic. Just incredible. Or Yeah, he's a top-notch artist all the way, no doubt. And Chris Claremont, you know, we make jokes and uh, <laughs> about his his wordiness, but Delvin's absolutely right. Without Chris Claremont, the Uncanny X-Men would be very, very different. I think you could make an argument without Chris Claremont's take on Uncanny X-Men in general, and characters like Wolverine in particular, you wouldn't have the movies you have, you no. wouldn't have the franchise that you have today. He deserves a lion's share of the credit for making the Uncanny X-Men a flagship title. Yeah, I hope he's getting at least, I mean, a little bit of royalties from the X-Men movies. I mean, those are his characters. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if he got anything for those. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come right back with the main feature for this episode. To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe. The origins of DC as a whole. It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s. It's the establishment of the JSA. It's the birth of the Silver Age. It's the introduction of a universal police force. It's the formation of the JLA. It's the emergence of the multiverse. It's a crisis in both space and time. It's an emerald dawn. And it's an emerald twilight. It's the brightest day. And the blackest night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed Lanternologists. So find us on iTunes and Stitcher and give us a listen, because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe, and we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up. Welcome back from the break. I hope you enjoyed the promo for Lantern Cast. Now let's get into the main feature.
today's adventure from the long box is The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, number 18, with a cover date of June 1984. The credits for this issue are provided by Mike's Amazing World of Comics, and it's published by Marvel. Got a cover date of June 1984, on sale date of March 6, 1984, with a cover price of 60 cents. Page count is 32 pages. Editor is Elliot R. Brown. Writer is David Michelini. Penciler is Herb Trimpey. Inker is Vince Coletta. Letterer, Joseph Rosen. And colorist is Rob Carcella. Carsola. There's, there's got to be somebody that I always mess up here. So we got to cover credits. Our penciler is Herb Trimpey. And an inker is Jack Abel. And on the cover, Jason, if you want to give us an overview of the cover. Sure. Thanks, Pat. The title cover is The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. And in the foreground, we have Indiana Jones and Marion Ravenwood on a wooden walk bridge over a deep chasm in the Himalayan mountains. There's a heavy snowstorm that's going, but in the background at the far end of the bridge, you can clearly make out an abominable snowman that's shaking the bridge to send them plummeting to their deaths. The top left Marvel icon has the cool little picture of Indiana Jones holding the pistol in his left hand and the whip in his right, and the cover price is 60 cents. The date on it is June 18th, and I think that about does it. Let's talk a little bit about this cover, and I'm going to pitch it back to you, Pat, since you often go last we'll let you go first this time and, and tell us what you think about the cover i like it it, it shows that impending action or suspense that's going to happen to indiana jones can kind of tell it's him because of the hat because he's got his cold weather gear on i definitely like the i looking at the uh i can't remember what you call it in the upper box corner there but that picture of indiana jones under the marvel yeah it's pretty yeah, cool i love that you look at that and, yep that's indiana jones i love the colors really good cover how about you i agree i think the cover looks really good there's a lot of action in it. Again, it's uh, one of those covers that makes you want to pick it up and read the book. I remember as a kid getting this book, this is one of the first comics I started reading off the rack. And I was a little disappointed because I thought Indiana Jones didn't look quite right outside of his traditional garb there on the cover. But as an adult looking at it, I think it's, yeah, it's it's pretty spot on. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Jared? I suspect and I cannot back this up with paperwork, but I suspect that Marvel got the rights to Indiana Jones but did not get likeness rights for Harrison Ford because you'll notice throughout, he never really looks like Harrison Ford and we know they can draw Harrison Ford because they did it back in the Star Wars issues. I think that they probably didn't have the rights because even if you look at the nice little iconic little clip in the top left corner under the Marvel logo, it's very shadowy. Mm -hmm. We know it's Indiana Jones based on outfit and weapon choice. Like I said, I can't back that with paperwork, but I suspect that they said, hey, we got the Indiana Jones rights, we're going to make some comics, but we don't have Harrison Ford likeness rights, so don't draw him to look too much like Harrison Ford. I think that's yeah, what happened. interesting. That's an interesting take. What do you and think, Delvin? I never even thought of that point. I think Jared's on to something there. And it's, that's crazy that you would have to get Harrison Ford likeness as well as Indiana Jones. You would think that that would kind of come part and parcel, but I guess not. Yeah. You, would, you would think I'm basing this off of some shameless self-plug coming. Recent experience of some art I did for Marvel, I did some of their characters and they were very clear about saying, do not make Tony Stark you know, look like Robert Downey Jr. Basically, I said, don't use any likeness from the movies. And I thought, well, that's weird. You own the thing. But apparently, there's rights upon rights upon rights. Mm. That's what I've learned. 
Huh, that's interesting. A little peek behind the curtain there. What do you think, Delvin? Any thoughts about the cover? I think it's okay. No huge thoughts about the cover. I think it's good. Nothing more to report than that. Yeah, I agree with Delvin. I think it's one of those covers that does its job. It's not iconic or hang it on your wall awesome, but like Pat said, it dramatically gives you a peek of what's going to happen. I know it wasn't my turn, but I wanted to jump in. Nah, I think at this point it's every man for himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. It does what it needs to do. It pulls you in. All right. So should we kick it off to synopsis then, Pat? Yeah, let's go ahead and start the synopsis. The title is The Search for Abner, Chapter 2, The City of Yesterday's Forever. So as indicated by the title of the story, this is the second half to an adventure that started in the previous issue, where Indy and Marion are on a quest, searching for Marion's father and Indy's former mentor, Abner Ravenwood, long thought to be dead. Indy and Marion start this issue in literal freefall, as the rope bridge they were on has been cut. Apparently this happens to Indy a lot. (laughs) By an unidentified creature, they are plunging into a huge chasm in an Asian mountain range to their certain doom. Putting his PhD in escaping certain death to work, Dr. Jones hooks the remnants of the bridge on an outcropping rock, saving the couple from falling. But the sudden stop is too jarring on Marion, and she is forced to release her grip on the rope and plummets to her apparent demise. Andy manages to climb the literal mountain as well as his personal mountain of pain and sadness to get to safety, to be discovered by a tribe of odd-looking men who take Indy to their mysterious dome city, Ra Lundi a hidden paradise high up in the harsh freezing climates of the mountain range. Here Indy meets Chen Shaw, the leader of the people of Ralundi. Chen Shaw reveals the terrific news that his men have found Marion and she will recover from the fall, thanks to the fact that she landed on a lower ledge and didn't plummet to the mountain floor. Reunited, Indy and Marion attend Ralundi's life celebration, where they witness a ritual where a yeti-type monster is uncaged and citizens of Ralundi stand happily ready, hoping that the yeti will kill them and carry them away. It's an odd party. Seated at the right hand of Chen Sha is a man in a golden mask whose hands reveal that he is Caucasian, making Indian Marion wonder if it could be Abner although the mysterious figure gives no hint of emotion. Chen Shaw explains the bizarre life ceremony. The city of Ra Lundi is basically made of a crashed UFO, and it grants the citizens eternal life, but they must remain in or near the Dome City. Due to their eternal life, it is considered an honor to die and move on to the next phase of life, hence the ceremony. Meanwhile, evil treasure hunters Ian McIver and Andre Lafont use a copy of Ravenwood's map, closing on finding the hidden city. Indian Marion make a break for it from their prison cell and attempt to destroy the alien power cell of Ralundi, fearful that MacGyver and LaFont will collect the powerful item and deliver it to Adolf Hitler. They come across the man in the golden mask and attempt to wake him, but he seems to be in a deep trance. However, as the pair flee, leaving him behind, the mystery man says one word, Marion. Indy's attempt to destroy the alien power cell is thwarted by Chen Sha, who reveals that he is a power-hungry madman more than a wise leader. Chen Sha is then in turn thwarted by the man in the golden mask, who allows Indian Marion to escape as he dynamites the power cell. MacGyver and LaFont are left stranded on a suspension bridge with angry Rolundians on one side and Yetis on the other. In an epilogue, Marion and Dr. Jones return to America to link up with their old friend and museum curator, Marcus Brody, only to discover Indy has been accused of delivering a fake piece to the museum. The museum is temporarily closed, and Marcus 
Marcus is being fired. Bum, bum, bum. We'll find out what happens next issue. Woo! The last yeah, F. Thank you for doing that recap. Appreciate it. It was amazingly well-written yes, recap. Very. Yeah, boy. There's a lot of <laughs> shoe leather on that recap there. <laughs> All right. So, I guess the big question is, I'll go the other way this time and start with Delvin. What did you think about the story? Overall, I thought the story was good. It was definitely an intricate story. Just want to mention, like, I've never read an Indiana Jones comic book before. So, <laughs> this has been a pretty revealing long box for me. It's a day of first for Delvin. Yeah, it is, man. <laughs> never read G.I. Joe, never read Indiana Jones comic as well. Thought it was a good book. It reminded me, the thing I was thinking once I got about four or five pages in, it reminded me of a Phantom. You know the comic series, Phantom? The comic strip series? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Like that, that was the feel that I had the whole time through and I just kind of smiled. It was a feature-length comic book, but it reminded me of a comic strip. For whatever reason, I just could not get that image out of my head once I started reading. It just seemed like a very lengthy comic strip. That took nothing away from it. It was good. It had a lot of action in it. I really did think Marion plunged to her death, and that kind of got me a little bit. It's like, dang, that's a heck of an opener for a book. But overall, I did think it was good. It didn't blow me away, but I did think it was a good read. Okay, fair enough. Pat, what were your thoughts? Did you like it? Not like it? Ambivalent? Oh, no, I liked it. I've read a couple of the Indiana Jones from the issues one, two, and three so far. Getting further into the series this time around, you know, I haven't read this. It was my first read-through of this one. I uh, enjoyed the story. What I found odd, every time I'm, I'm reading this, I'm thinking of, in you know, in the movie Indiana Jones 4. Because you got Indy, you got Marion, and they're looking for Abner. <laughs> That's a good point. All you need is a crystal yeah. skull. You got aliens. You got, well, yeah, there you go. You got an alien <laughs> ship, too, that arrives. But yeah, the story was good. Having that kind of different adventure, the old guy was kind of weird. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to make of him either. I don't know. Jared, do you have any thoughts? I did not read this. (laughs) I'm kidding again. (laughs) I make the jokes. I was pleasantly surprised by this because I had not picked up an Indiana Jones issue. I vaguely remember us having some laying around when we were kids, Jason. The only one I can really remember was called like 24 Karat Doom or whatever. And they were like dipping. That's the um, first issue. Oh, that's like the very first issue. That's the only only one I remember. And I tend to steer clear of movie property comics because let's be honest, they usually aren't very good. So I was like, eh, I'll read this Indiana Jones. And I was like, wow, this is really good. And I kind of had good hopes going into it when I saw it was Michelini and Trimpy together. I was like, that's a good creative team. And I really, really enjoyed the ride. I think it's interesting that Delvin tied it to the Phantom comic strip. Mm-hmm. If you know your indie and you know your Phantom, they take place at about the same time period. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. yeah, like indie takes place in the late 30s into the 40s, World War II era. Phantom, I think, is a little before that, but they're pretty close. So, yeah. And, of course, George Lucas, he did with Star Wars, borrowing from lots of different mythologies, borrowed from lots of different old-school pulp stuff for Indiana Jones. A lot of the old 1930s cliffhanger movies and stuff, and I'm betting there's some Phantom that creeped into that. So That's that a good point. Good observations. Interesting, interesting thing, yeah. Uh, aside from that, no, I was really taken with the issue. I loved the art. I liked the story. I liked the fact that they built upon the already established universe by using Abner Ravenwood mm-hmm. and, and Marion. It was so good that I have since already acquired about another dozen further adventures of Indiana Jones issues, and I look forward to reading them. Yeah, I totally agree, too, on the story. I was, like Delvin said, too, I was surprised that Marion, you know, oh, that was really quick that they're, they're going to let Marion die. Nah. Nah. <laughs> 
Let me ask you this: Being a complete Indiana Jones novice, is Marion like some central character to the Indiana Jones anything? Well, Marion was the first love interest and leading lady from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then in the last movie, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, they brought her back again, and it concluded with Indiana Jones and Marion tying the knot by the end of the episode. And then the time period where this comic was written, I believe, was just maybe before Temple of Doom, which was the second in the Indiana Jones franchise. So so right from the get-go, they just carried Marion over from Raiders of the Lost Ark into the comic. And it so happens in the cinema world, she ended up being the one that landed Dr. Jones, so to speak. So, yeah, she's, she's central. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is yes. Okay. Um, I thought this was a good issue as well. I think the story was really good in the aspect. I like how they still left us with a lot of questions of like, what is up yeah. with Abner? Assuming that is Abner. I guess we kind of have to assume it is because the character knew who Marion was, but we still don't know for sure. We don't know what happened to him. I think um, that's why I want to read more yeah. issues. <laughs> Yeah. It was a good enough yeah. cliffhanger that I was like, man, I got to find out about this guy in the golden mask. And they, <laughs> Very cleverly written, yeah. And I think that they do a good job so, because we're catching it in chapter two. So the first issue, they do a quick recap a little bit of the Avengers that they that happened right before this. So trying to figure out, yeah, what's going to happen next. My only really issue with this issue, so to speak, is I felt like this being the cliffhanger issue that there should have been some more action and tension with our main protagonist and really they didn't do much they left <laughs> you know that's basically <laughs> they left and, and really the most interesting stuff happened to ian mciver and andre lafont and you don't know what happened to them either i would guess we probably haven't seen the last of those two that was leads into my hang-up with it i was like okay they obviously went out of their way to make these new villains and then much like our you know the heroes they left the villains just like they showed up things went badly. Like the heroes never fought the villains. <laughs> yeah, I had a problem with that. And I also like my Indiana Jones to have a bit of historical context, the archaeology thing. It really kind of turns me off like it did with Kingdom of Crystal Skull when we start bringing aliens and UFOs into it. I started feeling like this was more of an episode of X-Files than it was an um, Indiana Jones adventure. But overall, I thought the story was well written. I enjoyed the Search for Abner aspect of it. I just, I wish it would have had more of an Indiana Jones flavor and had more of a bang-up ending, so to speak. Just for Delvin, who's probably already figured this out, or any other listeners who weren't big in the Indiana Jones franchise, Abner's another character who is actually, although he's never seen, is a key character to the plot of the first movie. So it was nice to see that their universe building was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely, that's what kind of grabbed me, too, is they mentioned Abner, Marion's in this one. So it's, again, I go back to Crystal Skull and and go, oh, wow, this is done in 1984. Did anything or somebody carry this over to the movie? Or at least <laughs> Maybe you know, it's in the back yeah, of someone's yeah, mind. At least the thoughts. Was this, I'm going to have to give up a little bit of Indiana Jones street cred here. Was this pre or post Temple of Doom? I'm going to guess it was pre Temple of Doom. What was the date on it again? June 84. Uh, issue, uh, which means it was on the stand probably be, February. Gotta be close. I mean, it's. And that was, I was wondering, I was like, 
like this whole rope bridge dangling thing is a climactic part of Temple of Doom. Spoiler alert. And I'm like, oh. did this predate that or did they take that from Temple of Doom? I don't know. And I mean, we have to remember too that Temple of Doom was a prequel. It took place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I mean, even if, you know. True. The, true. true. So, so this you is can... literally his second fall from a suspension bridge. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He's done this before. He knows what to do. Yeah, let's go into see what you guys think about the story art. Let's start with you then, Jason. What, what about the art? I think the art was pretty good. Overall, I was really pleased with it. There are a lot of panels and it's really, it gets kind of word heavy mm-hmm. in some places, but the layout still seemed to work. I think that there are some really great lines and great scenes in here. It's a text-heavy comic, so there's not really any great splash pages, but overall, art's solid. And I was going to make the criticism that it didn't look like indie, but, but after Jared provided his insight, I tend to agree with him, and I think that's by design. So, overall, pretty good. I think once you get past that, he doesn't look like Indiana Jones. Marion doesn't look like Marion either. Fair enough. Once you get past that and just you get into the story, even looking at it, I don't see Harrison Ford, but I do see Indiana Jones falling from the bridge. He doesn't lose the hat. True to character. Never lose the hat. Because <laughs> he was holding on the hat and holding on the rope. Maybe if you let go of his hat, he could have then maybe grab Marion. You shut your mouth. <laughs> that, 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 that would not help. That wouldn't help the brand at all. I mean, it's not called Indiana Jones and Marion anyway. <laughs> True. Remember in the sequel poster, it said the man with the hat is back. Not the man with the girlfriend is yeah, back. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I had been drawn it, I would have had him reaching out, stretching and going, got you. And then like it pan out and show him he's got the hat and she's falling to her death. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, baby. The franchise needs to live on. Uh, Delvin? Ooh, thank God I got my hat. My bros would have killed me back home. <laughs> Never would have heard the end of this. <laughs> I can always get another girl. Can't get a hat. <laughs> she's falling and she's hearing bros before home. <laughs> Delvin, what did you think about the art? I went looking uh, at the art, and I had to remember, I think Herb Shrimp actually drew some of the first issues of Transformers. I'm pretty sure he did. I think he draws each character distinct, and that's a good thing. I mean, because that's kind of a tough job of, hey, draw Indiana Jones, this iconic character, but don't make it look like Indiana Jones. (laughs) Good luck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, what do you do there? He gave Indy, of course, a hat and a jacket. That's enough. And then he just kind of filled the blanks in from there. And the story was a very complex one to, to draw, even if it wasn't very action-filled. But there are plenty of distinct characters. And I was just looking and give me for not remembering the name of the character, but like the brown Sasquatch character that carries off one of the villagers to die. I thought that big reveal was probably the best page of the comic. Because that thing does look big and dominating and scary. Something that would actually be worth revealing. Overall, I thought his artwork was good and it was distinctive for what it had to do. Jared, how about you? You guys have covered it. I think Trimpy's the master of like, this is almost sound like it's not a compliment, but it is, of cranking out art. He's cranking out art on G.I. Joe, Indiana Jones, Transformers, apparently, special missions. I think he drew some G.I. Joe special missions. And I can almost tell by looking at his art that he is fast. 
fast, but he's good fast. It's very energetic, and it's everything it needs to be. I'm an easy win for Trimpy because, you know, of his G.I. Joe connection. But I agree with Delvin, too. That big sort of splash page with the Yeti monster coming out, that's good. <laughs> that's really good. Good monster art right there. You know, monster art is kind of hard to do sometimes. But anyway, Trimpy's the man. Inks, the colors, it all came together. I enjoy the heck out of the art. Yeah, I agree, too. The art is it's quick, it's fast, very well put together. To me, it was a pretty depth story as well, too. A second chapter, so there's a lot going on. The facial expressions as well between the characters was good. All in all, I thought it was a good drawn issue. So with that, why don't we go into, Jarrett, your normal to-do. Yeah, we like to play the game of if you could only have one page from this book, you run into Herb Trimpey. You are at a con, and he's selling original pages of art from this book, and the cover doesn't count. It has to be from the book proper. What do you pick? I feel like Jason's played this game before, so he's probably ready to go with his pick. So, Jason? Page 11. It comes after the Pac-Man Donkey Kong ad. Okay, okay. Um, Six-panel page. Got it. Yep, six-panel page. I think this is really the one that's got a good headshot of Indy. It's got a lot of Indy in it. Actually, the last two has a little bit of action. This is really, in all honesty, probably the most action-packed Indy-centric page in the book. And I also like the tension as he sees Marion's body being carried over on the stretcher. So, yeah, page 11, I think, would be my page. Selection. All right. Delvin, you got a chance to pick one out? I gave mine away already. I mean, oh, yeah, I, yeah, that's right. You like the Yeti pick. Yeah. If I pick one, it's going to be that big reveal with the Yeti. And it's even cool because he breaks out of the cage and then you got the villagers that are around kind of celebrating and it makes the picture pop even more. I'm a sucker for a good splash page. And the one, well, he had to do the uh, first page of the book. But that page there with the Yeti, like the big reveal, I thought that was a great picture. I'd ask him to sign that one. Nice. Patrick? I'm going to go with, I guess we'll call it page three, where Indy is pulling himself back up the mountain there. Nice. I like that one. Yeah. Good one. Just him coming him coming up on that ledge. You can see the hat and his hand out and him pulling himself up. I, I like that. There wasn't a really a lot of cool, iconic Indiana Jones poses in this one. Jason was saying, too, not a lot of indie action. My fallback would be the first page. That's a really cool picture. Yeah. Yeah, the first page is on my radar, too, even though there's mostly landscape. Yeah. There's just something neat about it in its scope. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this, yeah. you, you have the scope of the giant mountain range. And the only reason I wouldn't have it signed is because you can't tell that it's Indiana Jones. Yeah. I seriously considered page three as well, Pat. I like the fact that we see Indy in like a grit and determination moment. You know, I like panel four where he's coming over the crest, but I'm going to ultimately choose page two where the fall actually happens and Marion takes the dive. Because everybody knows me, I'm a sucker for an emotional scene and a lot of emotion in that page. So that's, I'm going with page two. Also yeah, a good choice. a good choice. It's neat that we all pick something different, but they're all really good. Like, I, I, I didn't like anybody's choices. I wasn't like, what? <laughs> and I love Delvin's choice. That splash page is yeah. great. Is a great monster page. It just doesn't have enough indie for me to. Yeah, I considered it. It was on my radar, but I needed a little more indie in my. I got a fever. My page. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that'll cure it. <laughs> Need more indie. indie. More Henry Jones Jr. <laughs> Jr. Well, yeah. Cool. Good choices all. Good choices all. Let's get into memories. Does this bring back any memories? We'll start with Delvin. The memory it brought back is the one that I mentioned about Phantom. I grew up at a time where after church, mom would stop by the newspaper stand and we would put in a dollar and quarters and we would pull out a Sunday paper and we'd bring it home. And she did it for coupons and I always pulled out the comics. Mm. And I 
be pretty much every comic strip for a couple, but one of the ones that I read was The Phantom. And so that's why it made me smile. As soon as I looked at the issue of Indiana Jones, it just, I don't know, there's something about feel of it that reminded me of The Phantom. And so it kind of brought me back to looking at the Sunday comics back when I was a kid. That's cool. That's sweet. I like that. See, that's a good one. How about you, Jason? Indiana Jones was one of the comics that I first started reading religiously as a kid. I kind of had collected them ad hoc, some Spider-Man here and there that I picked up and some Batman here and there that I picked up. But Indiana Jones was something that I was reading semi-religiously. I would go with mom to the grocery store because she would always get me a comic. So I would usually pick up either a G.I. Joe or a Indiana Jones comic. So this was the gateway drug for me. Well, I'm just going to kind of piggyback off of what you said. When I was a kid, I did grab like issue one and I think two off of the stands at the time. It wouldn't be for quite a while that I would try to kind of go back and get the rest of this run. I think it went to issue 34 on this run. So I think I'm only missing like one or two now out of this whole series, but definitely I uh, was a, I'm an Indiana Jones fan uh, from Raiders, Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade. And I do have, I, and it just you forgot one. Well, <laughs> Crystal Skull. No, no, he didn't. <laughs> the reason I go back to this is, this goes back to Last Crusade when that came out. That was a really great movie. I enjoyed that movie a lot. And just has a special place in my heart because my dad took me to go see that movie. So going to see Indiana Jones adventure movie with my dad and the movie's about a dad and a son. Every time I think about Indiana Jones, I have that connection of how cool that was because you know a bunch of kids from school were going to go see the movie. But it course i didn't get invited to go so what ends up happening is my dad knew i wanted to go see this movie so he took me to go see that movie that's really cool all i heard was pat had no (laughs) friends (laughs) Yes. <laughs> no, I'm I know. You, Pat. That's a really good story. Yeah, so that, it's, it's got some special meaning to me. Other than that, he's you know it's just a cool guy with a hat and all that too. I, so, Jared, how about you? Yeah, I'm supposed to follow that. Yeah, thanks, Pat. I like Indiana Jones. The memories, just definitely like you. I mean, obviously, it brings back the memory of the movies. Strangely enough, also ties to my father and of course my brother as well. I think I mentioned on a previous episode that my first real strong memory of going to the movie was. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back, double feature. My dad took Jason and I to that not long after our sister was born. I'm sure just to get us out Best of my mother's double hair. Feature ever. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's like two of the greatest movies of all time. I didn't even realize I'm watching it. And then I vividly remember my father taking Jason and I to see Temple of Doom at the Fort Rucker Theater here. I still go to that theater. So, yeah, these were Bond movies, not James Bond, but bonding <laughs> movies between Jason and I and our father, right? You know, very manly movies. Certain that we saw The Last Crusade together in uh, the theater in Fulda, Germany. Like, I can remember where I was with all these movies, and it was always a family affair, and my dad loved them, and Jason and I loved them, and it's just much like the G.I. Joe comics. When I hold a comic, I feel like I'm holding a piece of my childhood. Cool. Anybody else who have anything else, memory-wise, you want to bring up? No, those are all pretty powerful <laughs> me- memories there. Yeah, I'm good. I, like, I don't want to start blubbering on the podcast. It's going to turn it. And Jason, I gotta call our dad after we get off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, dad. <laughs>
I do also want to, like I said, Indiana Jones was a big influence for me along with Star Wars. Wanted to draw Indiana Jones stuff. I think, Jared, I showed you that picture I had of... I have seen it. Yeah, like Indiana yeah. Rat or something Indiana like that. Indiana Rat and the Last Piece yep. of Cheese. It was my uh, last piece homage to... <laughs> this is like a little Temple of Doom going on. Was it an homage or a fromage? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Y'all keeping that laugh. Oh, geez. I'll stand alone. Hate, 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 hate. <laughs> I know I can count on you. <laughs> you got to send that picture to the fellas. It's a pretty good little cartoon drawing. Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to send it to you guys. I don't have it on my phone right now in order to send it. So, But I'll send it and I'll also post it just to get it out there. So why don't we get into some of the polls that we did right before recording. So, oh, the polls. Jared, you got some well, stuff? We ran one poll today. Just put it out there. Said which of today's titles, just, you know, based on the cover, mm-hmm. most excite you. And we got a pretty good amount of votes. 35 people ended up voting in the poll and most people 37% of the audience was most excited to hear about G.I. Joe 24 in second place was X-Men number 182 at 31% Secret Wars 2 clocked in at 26% and Indiana Jones which of course was our feature (laughs) issue (laughs) got 6% of the vote I think I made a comment on that one yeah (laughs) tough noogies everyone we're doing this So we let the crowd, we let the public decide, you know, what our next time frame is going to be. But we will not be backed into a corner about what we're going to talk about. That's right. We're the electoral college here. That's the popular right. vote spoke, but we're still reading this comic. Indiana Jones it is. It does matter. We do enjoy the feedback and the interactions with everybody. So definitely like to see that. Everybody wanted to see the G.I. Joe one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. G.I. Yep. Joe one at 37%. X-Men came in close at 31%. And then Secret Wars, just 26%. So, I mean, it was 5 6% margins until you get to Indiana Jones was a 20% drop off. <laughs> we, we, we know the one they didn't want to listen to. Well, guess what, folks? You'll know it's time to turn the page when you hear the whip. Oh, and I got that sound, too. I got that record of Raiders oh, of the yes. Lost Ark. Oh, yes. the whip. I'll throw you right on. All right. Let me just tell you the story before Jason does. Uh, <laughs> you know the one. <laughs> Jason and I listened to that. And for Delvin, if you don't know, they made a storybook like you listen to with like a record or a cassette. Okay. Uh, so you get your storybook out and it, basically it reads it to you and then it tells you. Uh, you'll know it's time to turn the page when you hear the whip crack like this. And he goes, Whoosh. now you know to turn it. This is the story of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the bull whip crack like this. Or if you had Star Wars of like, you know, it's time to turn the page when you're R2-D2, beep like this. And that's how you know. Well, we listened to it so much. One night we had finished taking our bath and one of our roles and responsibilities as kids, we had a glass cup next to the bath and we're supposed to rinse out the bath when we're done to keep it from getting dingy. And so that was my responsibility. I like to fill up the glass cup and then I like to fling the water so it looked like a whip. And I'd say, you know, it's time to turn the page. You know, crack like this. And I'd fling the water in and make the little splash sound. And Jason was like, that's pretty cool. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm clever and creative. Until, you know, it's wet hands and you're young and it's a glass. So I was like, you know, it's time to turn the page. You know, crack like this. And I flung it and the glass came right out of my hands, shattered all over the bathtub. <laughs> and Jason, I can't remember if it was me or you, but one of us said, well... 
You cracked all right. <laughs> <laughs> you could hear mom's footsteps running. Yeah, my mother just came in and beat she my was ass. Coming in there. <laughs> she was coming in there like the boulder from Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, well, it cracked Ooh. all right. <laughs> well, it brings up what we talked about before, too, like when we were doing those Star Wars episodes. These comics, these were our DVDs or our Blu-ray, because they didn't exist yet. And in June of 84, nobody even had a VCR. Yeah. So this was it. This is how we stayed in touch with the characters. I remember when we got a VCR, I wanted to get a copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's the one thing that I wanted to get. I wanted my Indiana Jones. So I was calling around to the video shops were just brand new, like a brand new concept. So you're calling around, and there's like two in the neighborhood. And the one's like, no, we don't have any copies of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then the other was like, well, we've got a waiting list. Check back in a couple months. We'll put you on this list. And yeah, it cost uh, like $98 for it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, good God. <laughs> I'm like counting my quarters, you know, like, hope I have enough for this. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. It broke my heart. $98. Oh, yeah, yeah, they were expensive. Like, God dang. So, yep. So, the comic books are what we had. Definitely. Yep, yep. Well, does anybody have anything else you want to add about Indiana Jones memories from this time period? What's the best Indiana Jones movie? Raiders. Last Crusade. I, I like Last Crusade. I don't have one. You know my story there, so sorry. But you have seen them all, haven't you, Delvin? No. No. Oh, I thought you'd at least like seen them in passing. No. I bet Miranda does not care for that. Miranda does not care for that. Miranda <laughs> has seen them. I have not. And she still married me. <laughs> <laughs> you should sit down and watch them one weekend. Yeah, good stuff. You don't have to watch the fourth one. Well, yeah, we'll give you a pass on that. <laughs> oh, Crystal Skull. No one loves you but me. I, I, I don't have I don't have, I don't a, have problem a problem with Crystal Skull. I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> but it doesn't hold. The no. candle to the other three. I was tolerating it until that. What's the name of that actor that's always Shia LaBeouf? Yeah, Shia LaDouche was swinging, <laughs> swinging through the jungle like a monkey. So immature, but I still laugh. <laughs> I was like, come on, man. And at the end, when he had the scene, like when he was going to put the hat on, I was like, no, I will tear this screen from the wall. If I will this burn happens. this theater down. I will. I was, this place needs to be cleansed <laughs> right now. Yeah, they really lost me. Yeah, if they would have tried to just keep it, I don't want to say simple, but stuck with some simple effects again, like they did all three other movies, I think I would have enjoyed it more. Instead of trying to go a little more yeah. over the top, what they did. It was okay. It was solidly okay, right up to the point where LaBeouf is swinging from the vines <laughs> like Tarzan. I was like, this is ridiculous. I will say that Karen Allen looked great, though, in that movie. Yeah, she oh, did. Yeah. She still looked, uh, oh. <laughs> I know. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at Harrison Ford's old ass and going, mm, you know, you, you better lock this <laughs> up. <laughs> Because the clock is ticking. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to bring us to the end of this part of the show. You got a question or comment on the issues we have covered, or you want to hear us talk a little bit more about Indy? Let us know. Send us an email at contact at logboxcrusade.com or make a comment on the Twitter or Facebook page. We'll be right back. Film and Water Podcast, a weekly show about movies old and new, hosted by obsessive movie nerd Rob Kelly and a rotating series of special guests. From sci-fi to horror, dramas to family films, comedies to adventure epics, we watch it all. The Film and Water Podcast is part of the Fire and Water family of podcasts, available weekly at fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com and on iTunes and Stitcher.
welcome back from the break. Hope you enjoyed the promo for Shellman Water Podcast. Now let's get into the part of the show where we look at the ads that we find interesting with a segment called Add It Up. up. So here are the ads that stand out to us for this issue. Let's start with Jason. I like this incredible Hulk ad for Cookie Chris, where you can get up to five Marvel comics. And I think that five comics and a box of Cookie Chris makes for a very enjoyable weekend. So that's what I would choose. I like how Hulk is talking to the kids, too. Hey, kids. Look Look what's coming your way. Diabetes (laughs) and comics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the kids are smiling as opposed to even at now at 63260. If I saw something no pulp size coming towards me with cookie crisp. Ah! <laughs> it's loaded with vitamin C. <laughs> I just loaded my pants with vitamin D. <laughs> D's nuts. <laughs> And the cookie crisp guy, man. You don't, you don't see the cookie crisp guy anywhere. What is it? It's a wolf now, ain't it? Oh, okay. And then they were like, there was a cookie crisp wolf, and then there was like a cops and oh, robbers. Yeah, yeah. I like this guy. I don't oh, remember the cops like and robbers. This, yeah, this guy looks innocent. Magician enough. guy or this. Yeah. That's cookie yeah. wizard going on here. Cookie wizard. Mm-hmm. Well, what's he have to do with crisp? Some pretty good, pretty good comics. Yeah, he had some good comics. The comics they got up there are pretty good good issues, man. They got X-Men, Maze, Spider-Man, FF, Hulk, and, well, Alpha Flight. Flight. <laughs> <laughs> They're always trying with Alpha Flight, aren't they? You don't really, guys. You know, that you know that they were actually sending five copies of Alpha Flight and just ignoring all the pissed off emails coming to them. All right. Delvin, what ad stood out to you? The one at the end of the book about Power Pack. That, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of caught my attention because Power Pack was hella slept on. Those those kids were pretty cool. And the head uh, guy, Alex Power, the leader of the Power Pack, was actually like a pretty cool character with some cool powers. And they never fully realized how cool of a group Power Pack was. Maybe they were just written off just being kids. But I'm surprised that you know how like writers kind of have their pet project. Like, uh, I think it was Bendis that wanted to write ROM forever, and he eventually finally got to do it and all that stuff. And like, I, I hope that maybe somebody has a fondness for Power Pack and brings them back into the forefront because they were a good team. I always uh, wondered who, who it was that was yeah, reading so Power Pack. Now I know. <laughs> It was was Delvin and Britt Burbridge, which is weird because they're both, uh, Delvin is the godfather to my children and Britt is the godmother to my children and she loves Power Pack. So something about. I read about Alec Power and a little bit about Power Pack because he joined a version of the New Warriors, Alex Power did. Oh, okay. okay. And that's how I found out about him because apparently Alex being the older brother, he can take all of the other's powers if he wants them. Mm. And that's kind of what he did. He's like, well, I'm older and I know what I'm doing and I want to protect y'all. So I'm taking your powers and I'm joining the new warriors. I left some food in the refrigerator for the next two days. See ya. (laughs) (laughs) And he left. Dang, that's rough, man. It it is. They were not happy about it, but he did. (laughs) Hmm, Interesting. I uh, I have never a clue of what Power Pack was. I'd see issues here and there, but I just didn't have an I didn't have an interest at all. You always knew a title was near its end when you saw guest starring Wolverine. Wolverine, you know, as they're frantically trying to prop up the book. When I saw Power Pack starring Wolverine, I was like, well, there's the end of that book. (laughs) Uh, Jared, what was your ad? Much like my brother, who is also diabetic. (laughs) 
I too am diabetic, and it wasn't maybe Cookie Crisp's fault, but I went with the Oreos and Spider Man. <laughs> Jason and I have a theme going here: yeah. <laughs> high carb and sugar foods <laughs> and comic books. But yes, apparently, if you mailed in three proofs of purchase from Oreo, you could get a free Spider Man first issue. Well, it's a Marvel Tales reprint of uh, Amazing Fantasy 15, first appearance of Spider Man. I believe that's what it is, according to the tremendously big-headed Happy Kid who's holding it up <laughs> in the end. Yeah. I I could easily see me down in three packs of Oreos to send off for a reprint of the first appearance of Spider-Man, be it as a child or be it in the morning. Either way, I'm down for it. Nabisco. <laughs> so do you guys prefer the single or is everybody a double stuff person? Double stuff. Double? Double, yeah. I'm going to toss this out here, though. Am I crazy or I kind of prefer the golden Oreo to the standard? You shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah. I like golden Oreos. That's communist, man. That's weird. <laughs> I also like the standard chocolate Oreo. They do one with a peanut butter filling that I also am very fond yeah. of. No, but I like the lemon Oreos. Now you shut your mouth. Oh, man. Yeah. What is, what is they wrong? The lemon you, Oreo? I didn't say they were better than the original. I'm just saying that the lemon one. No, that's not even a real thing. They're you know on. They're on dark Amazon. Uh, I was going to say, you got to order that from the dark web, man. You know what? You're not a real thing. None of you all are. None of you. I've never heard of lemon. Lemon. What? I, I, the mint ones are good. I'm out. I'm telling you, lemon Oreos. Okay, back in 1984, you had your choice: either the regular or the double stuff. Well, you're going yeah. double stuff. That's just yeah. That's right. Uh, I'm just wondering why did they just keep going to double stuff? I wonder what the ratio of sales were for regular or double stuff. I think the people who think that they're trying to be good just get the regular Oreo. <laughs> Like, knowing good and damn well they're going to be the entire package. What they needed to do was just sell a jar of the filling and then have, like, two little cookie pieces that I could use as a spoon <laughs> to eat that filling and then eat the two cookie pieces at the end. Dude, Sonic did something very similar to that. They did these things called funnels. You can get, like, an Oreo blast and then ask for a funnel. And what the funnel was was think, like, kind of like one of those king-size straws. Like, mm-hmm. put right Right in the middle, and it was made of nothing but Oreo icing. Oh. <laughs> Dude, I got like a medium, which like oh. a medium at Sonic is like 47 ounces. <laughs> and, Dang, man. And I had one of those, and seriously, by the end of it, like I couldn't even film my face. It was... <laughs> Like, face is like half sugar at that point. <laughs> if I had one of those, I'd just have to stick the insulin needles right into myself and then <laughs> drink it and then just push the syringe things right in. Dude, it, it, was, it, was, it was not. It, it was too much. It, it, was, it, it was actually just too much. It was... It was <laughs> Dylan was like, I, I want to clean the house. Who, wants, who else wants to clean the house? Let's do jumping jack. Let's, let's do jumping jack. Build a fort. I'm going to build a fort. I'm going to build a fort. We'll clean the house. We'll build a fort. And you're just like, man, this wasn't a good idea. That's what this was. Like when I was done, I was like, that was not a good idea. I've had best ideas in my life. <laughs> Tumor's Corner Lemonade, my friend. Tumor's yeah. Corner Lemonade. You want some crack? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I 
question is, can Pat find some sort of sword and sorcery ad to talk about yeah. from this? Well, issue? yes, I can. Oh. I wonder. I wonder. Was there anything like that going on in the 80s and all? Of course <laughs> there was. Well, the ad that really I like for this go around is the Advanced Dungeon and Dragons video game from Mattel Electronics in television. Okay, this is Advanced Dungeons and Dragons video game cartridge. You have to buy it separately to play on the Intellivision video game system. Mom and Dad have to hook it up to the TV. What next? We're trying to find a crown, but it's real easy to get lost. So don't be surprised if the dragon finds you first. Holy cats, you just killed the dragon. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons video game cartridge and Intellivision Master Component from Mattel Electronics, each sold separately. Man. Yes, look yeah, at those graphics, graphics, man. Awesome you could be the green square chasing the red yep. square. <laughs> <laughs> you boot that thing up on Saturday, it's ready to go on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> the art that they have for the the picture where you get like this archer yeah, guy. Yeah, the art uh, for the ad. Is awesome. Yeah, it's good. That boy and arrow ain't gonna save him from that wraith that's about oh, to die. The wraith, and he's gonna get some snakes, and then you get the shadow of a dragon, kind dragon of that he's trying to shoot at. Skeleton guy. We got the hydra thing coming at him. Those snakes. Is, I agree, Pat. This is good artwork. I am gonna take up for old games though. You know, Jason says you power it up Saturday <laughs> on Sunday. Old games used to play as soon as you turned it on. Nowadays it's like, oh, it's there's an update. Yeah, that's true. And let me reboot your system. <laughs> that is true. And you're just like, God dog, man. I have I've literally waited thirty minutes to an hour to play a game I bought. Yeah, I yeah, guess I'm interested in playing a game just because of waiting so long. So yeah, I don't want to play this anymore. I guarantee you this advanced Dungeons and Dragons video game didn't have like a forty seven page manual. <laughs> Describing how to play it, you, you can just plug that thing in and play. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. You're probably right about that. Has anybody here played this? Atari? Well, this is not officially Atari. This is in television. I'm sure there was an Atari version. Anybody here played, played it? it? No. Nope. I had friends. So no, you didn't. <laughs> they, had, they had. They had the game. Like Optimus Prime is not a real friend. Okay, it's just a. He is to me. He <laughs> is to me. <laughs> If I was going to guess which one of us had actually played it, it's the, it was the guy that had HBO as a kid growing up. <laughs> yeah, you know, look we, at me. But I couldn't afford the Dungeon Dragons game. I'm doing the Jared thing right now, and I'm looking it up on eBay and see what it goes for these days. This game does not sell very often. When it does, you kind of have to have it complete in the original box and, and the instructions Probably and everything. For the artwork on it. And then you, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's someone wants to play the artwork. A really nice copy of it sold for 12 bucks. And then there's shoddier copies with crushed boxes and stuff that aren't not even moving for $5. So it's one of those things where if you do like the box art, you just want the box art and it's cool, it's super affordable. You could go out and buy the box art for just five or six bucks. Or I could probably ask you to draw it. You could ask me, but I'm I'm going to charge you more than five or six months. <laughs> six fifty. I have done a video game box recreation drawing, though, for our friend Joe Thomas asked me to draw a recreation of Ninja Gaiden from cool. the box. And I did that for him for, I think, his birthday last year or Christmas. One of the two. Very cool. So you not only do superheroes, you do other. Oh, kind oh of I do all. it all. There you go. As long as that check clears. That's right. Bang, bang. Well, with that, I think if you guys have any comments or questions, let us know about these ads. If they bring back any memories or if you remember these or you actually have that game or let us know were you a single stuff or a double stuff <laughs> feel another poll coming on but with that i think why don't we go into the next segment of way back in time once again it is time to take another revealing peek back into history what's that 
last date shall I set it to today, Mr. Peabody? June 1984. Here's some major news for June 1984. June 2nd. Welcome to the Fun Zone, hosted by Dr. Demento, airs on NBC TV. I have no idea what that is. You guys don't know Dr. Demento? <laughs> I know Dr. Demento, yeah. June 4th, Arnold Palmer fails to make U.S. Open golf tournament for the first time in 32 years. <clears throat> Sounds bad. I don't care about golf, so <laughs> on we go. Uh, well, then the same time on June 4th, born in the USA, the seventh studio album <clears throat> from Bruce Springsteen is released. Born downtown in a dead man's town. The first kick I took is when I hit the ground. Here we go. End up like a dog that's been too much. To Not even spend in the music. Half your life. <laughs> Cover him up. Oh, sorry. Dead problem. I thought Spring. you guys were going to take it away. No. Was that dumb? <laughs> I said you probably think Bruce is lazy. No, man. Bruce back in music was music, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, I'm pretty sure this was a remix of uh, Band in the USA by yeah. Two Life Crew, by the way. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> I got that album. I, yeah, we all do. <laughs> also on June 4th, DNA is successfully cloned from an extinct animal. They spared no expense. Nothing <laughs> could possibly go wrong. <laughs> Welcome to <Bart>. Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> My friends have all died. This is suicide. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, doing the clone thing. Nothing could possibly go wrong. June 4th, 1984. June 9th, Donald Duck's 50th birthday celebrated at Disneyland. Yeah. I think they got him strippers. I mean, this is 50, right? <laughs> I, he still doesn't yeah, wear pants know. anywhere, so. Got <laughs> him a little lap dance, a little Donald Duck lap dance. <laughs> uh, June 9th, NASA suffers a launch vehicle failure, launching an Intelsat 509. I blame Dr. No. <laughs> ah, good. Yes. Nice. I was like, how do you make a joke on that? <laughs> you saved it. Good work. Then on June 9th, Polygram's Hanover Germany plant produces its 10 millionth CD. It was all Hasselhoff. Hasselhoff. I was going for a Hasselhoff joke. <laughs> <laughs> so on June 9th, Weird Al Yankovic gives his live performance at the Starlight Amphitheater. And if I had told you in June of 1984 that Weird Al Yankovic would still be relevant to this day, would you believe me? No, I saw, not, but he's still doing it. <laughs> just saw him on Sunday. He wow. was the guest of honor at Rose City Comic Con. Oh, wow. oh that's awesome. Cool. June 10th, U.S. missile shoots down an incoming missile in space for the first time. Hell yeah, America. (laughs) (laughs) Because nothing takes out a missile like another another missile. I got two knives in me. (laughs) In space. All right, so then June 19th, Weird Al Yankovic gives a free live performance at Del Mar Fair. That's nice. He's, he's Weird Al's getting... Yep. That's how I think he got his word out there. He's like peddling his wares. On June 22nd, Richard Branson's Virgin Atlantic Airways commences operation with flight from Gatwick to Newark. I don't know where Gatwick is. I don't either. I've never it's flown. England. 
It's somewhere in England because he's British, he's right? Yeah. Sure. And Newark's New Jersey. No one's ever been there. It's, that's made yeah, up. That's right. How did they intentionally land at Newark? <laughs> did something go wrong with the plane? That's what I, I want to know. I was headed for New York, but. <laughs> yes. Well, I must say, gentlemen, the fickle finger yes. of fate wow. has chosen wisely. <laughs> Was it the fickle finger, or was it just good math and preparation? Actually, I really See, did I, think that Yeah, random. right. I think he figured it out. <laughs> I did. I swear I did. But listen to me, people. Listen and listen well, because this is the biggest piece of news you've ever heard along Box Crusade news events. On June 25th, 1984, the greatest musician of all time, Prince, released... Purple Rain album, which I will say is in contention for greatest album ever made. Oh, it's definitely in my top 10, at least, yeah. June 26th, first flight of Shuttle Discovery, scrubbed at T-4. Because they were jamming out to that Purple Rain, son. (laughs) They were like, oh, we can't leave yet. My Purple Rain album just showed up. (laughs) My CD. I suppose it would be an album back then. June 27th, the Emmy 11th Daytime Award presentation, Susan Lucci loses for the fifth time. You know what's funny is like that is such lore that you know I don't pay any attention to soaps, but I think everybody knows that Susan Lucci is the greatest loser in daytime. Yeah, if you ask me, if you ask me to name a soap actor, she's like the only one that pops into my head. Only one I know, and it's because she lost a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, and she's still doing commercials. She's doing commercials. Yeah. Oh, that commercial is hilarious. Yeah, that last commercial for um, the insurance progress. That was funny. <laughs> the final one that we have for news is a big one around these parts, or at least maybe for two people. <laughs> I like it for a different reason, but it's June 27th. Fire destroys a set in A View to a Kill. So did you guys know that? I did not know that. I, I didn't know that either, too. yeah. But I, I wonder if it, they, uh, they dance the fire. Dance to the fire. Oh, That's why I like this one. <laughs> but it's you to a kill. I think to this day that is the most successful James Bond theme song. I think it remained at number one in the charts for longer than any of them. A lot of them really? hit number one, but if you two killed it, and it stayed That's there for jam. weeks. I think it was because of us. <laughs> yeah, I think the Albrecht brothers <laughs> pretty much made that happen. We're Let's buying buy another that coffee. <laughs> Give me another one of those 10 Request million song CDs. again. <laughs> <laughs> But I know I did not know about the fire that destroyed the set on a view to I imagine it was probably the giant fire scene. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I was like, you think it was that one? I would think it would have to. There's a big fire scene where they're trapped in an elevator. Oh, there well, you go. That's the news that's fit to print. And now let's hit the movies. Speaking of movies, let's, let's hit them. On June 1st of 1984, there was a release of Once Upon a Time in America. Sounds familiar, but I don't, I'm not locking on anything with that. It made about five million bucks. It only happened once, so. (laughs) (laughs) So the next movie uh, on June 1st is Star Trek (laughs) 3, The Search for Spock. Made six million dollars in box office. Spoiler alert, they found them. Well, mine happens to be, uh, it, it was just a little less successful than Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. But it's a movie called Streets of Fire. And if you guys remember the 80s action star Michael Pere, this is one of his classics where a mercenary is hired to rescue his ex-girlfriend. Are reading from the internet. <laughs> God, you caught me. 
I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> yes, yeah, Streets of Fire. It looks like it's got uh, Michael Parade, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis. I like and, Diane Lane a lot. I'm looking at a picture. Oh, Willem Dafoe was in there too. I like Diane Lane so much. She sent me some mail recently. It was a restraining order. <laughs> <laughs> I think I timed out another one. Go ahead, Pat. Give us your big BS so that I can come in as a hero again. Oh, God. Look at that. <laughs> All right. With that, June on June 8th, Beat Street. I don't even know what that is. Beat Street. <laughs> the person who gets to go after me gets another good one. But I have the game winner at $242 million worth of Jared Albrecht. I got my personal favorite musician on this one. I got my personal favorite movie of all time. We're talking Ghostbusters, y'all. Ghost. Buster. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Your insurance company, which you said was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how happy I am that I got Purple Rain and Ghostbusters on this episode, and I did not plan it. He planned it. it. You shut your mouth. (laughs) Whoever's next has got a good one, though. On June 8th, we have Gremlins that made $148 million. Good movie. It's darker than most people remember, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. We went back and watched it with Jordan recently, and he was like, this is pretty scary. And I was like, yeah, it is. I don't remember it being this scary. Everybody just thinks of Gizmo. But. Gizmo, yeah. Oh, it's so cute. Things got dark fast mm. in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I got this movie called Under the Volcano, which I, again, have no idea what it is. June 15th, we have Careful He Might Hear You. <laughs> <laughs> no, he will not. <laughs> and for- they were so careful that they made no money. <laughs> Nobody how, heard them or they, saw them. How did a movie make zero? I think that means that it did not make its budget no. back. Yeah. On June 16th, Grand Canyon, The Hidden Secrets was a documentary that came out and actually picked up $52 million. I've never seen it, but $52 million for a documentary, it's got to be pretty good. June 22nd, we have The Karate Kid made $90 million bucks. Wax on, wax off. And just to tie this into comic books, people who read Legion of Superheroes might know there's a character in there called Karate Kid. And I am told, I've not verified this myself, but I'm told that somewhere in the credits of this movie, The Karate Kid, they had to put this is in no relation to the DC comic book character. Okay. Something to that effect. What okay. I was going to add to that is somebody came up with some 10 minute explanation about how Daniel LaRusso was actually the bad guy in the Karate Kid. <laughs> yeah, if you've never seen that YouTube <laughs> presentation, it's <laughs> worth listening to. No! <laughs> it's Daniel! He's the best around. Nothing's ever gonna take you down. The only thing that I learned from that movie is second place is no place you're off the team (laughs) (laughs) i learned strike first strike hard no also sweep the lake i think i'm up next with the pope of greenwich village i've heard of it but i couldn't tell you what it's about i've heard (laughs) of that movie but i I don't also on june 22nd rhinestone a comedy (laughs) underrated movie i don't know that's um sylvester Sylvester stallone and dolly Dolly parton that's why (laughs) and a lot of people were turned off by it because sylvester stallone was this big action star and they're like we don't want to see him do comedy and i've watched it and it's pretty entertaining June of 84 kicks ass, I got a $21 million making, which has almost made exactly the same amount as Rhinestone, of Top Secret, oh, Val Kilmer's yes. breakthrough performance on one of those um, Zuck- Zuckerberg, Zuckerman, Zuckerberg, the people that did the freaking airplane <laughs> Those guys. Those guys. It's a great, great screwball comedy. Top secret. It's just, it's awesome. How silly can you get? I was due for a clunker. (laughs) 
20, June 29th, another country came out, which made zero dollars. I have more money on, on the chain purse on my dresser drawer than... <laughs> made. Delvin owns the rights to another country. Good job, Delvin. <laughs> I at least get the comedy classic Bachelor Party. Yeah. Yes. I just watched that, that the other day. I came in at $38 million. Tom Hanks, man. Early yeah. Tom Hanks comedy. Mm-hmm. That's a good movie. Whoa, with that. Ooh, I got this. I got the awesome Cannonball Run 2. I don't think I've seen the sequel. No, you've never seen the sequel? I don't think I have either. I just found the first one at a yard sale, and Drake and I watched it not too long ago. I figured I'd give him the pleasure of seeing yeah. I need Roger to see Moore it again. and Jackie Chan. You don't see a lot of these good road movies. You know what I mean? I like this movie. Yeah, like mm. Cannonball Run and Cannonball Run 2. And there was a couple. What other ones were there? Speed Zone. Um, Smokey and the Bandit. Bandit. Amistad. Wait, no, that yeah. doesn't. <laughs> where, you, where you get a bunch of different people all together and they're out. Like, there's one where they're chasing money or something like that. Oh, I can't remember what that I'm bringing us home with the last one on June 29th. A little-known action movie that made $26 million called Conan the Destroyer. Recently watched it with my son because a lot of people forget that the second Conan was actually rated PG. They wanted to get a little more family-friendly audience but still had that Conan flavor. It was written by Conan scribe Roy Thomas and it's a pretty good movie. I really enjoyed watching Conan the Destroyer. They have Will Chamberlain in it. Yes, that is the most ironic casting of all time because Wilt Chamberlain's character in the movie, his whole job is to protect the virginity of the princess. That is funny. It's like asking me to guard your M&Ms. They're going to be gone. I put them in my belly for, for safekeeping. <laughs> You'll never search for yeah. them there. Wilt Chamberlain, don't have sex with this girl. Got it. That wasn't a bad movie. I, I still like the first one the best. Yeah, yeah the, the first one is definitely like a deeper, darker film. But the second one is more of like an adventure film. It was good, though. Take a minute to look at June of 84. I mean, Star Trek 3, Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Karate Kid, Top Secret, Bachelor Party, and Conan the Destroyer. All in June of 84. Mm-hmm. I'm I could have lived at the movie theater. <laughs> yep, spending some money on movie theater tickets in June of 84. Yeah, all those movies would have cost you a good two bits <laughs> <laughs> why don't we get to the top three songs according to billboard at this time delvin why don't you give us number three number three is classic by lionel richie hello is it, is it me you're looking, looking for, for me you're looking for. i can see it in your eyes who hurt you who hurt you oh lionel who hurt you <laughs> That is a great song. I don't care how you slice it. I can listen to it all yeah, day. That's a good song. How about number two, Jason? Oh, man, that's a good one, too. Time After Time by that's Cindy Lauper. That's a great song. Yeah. Go slow. He's completely underrated, too. Like, she really could sing her ass off. Yep, she is underrated. Yeah. I'm going to lay it down right here, and I don't care who disagrees with me, but between Cindy Lauper and Madonna, Cindy Lauper all day long, man. Well, I'll you know what? Bet. I'm fine with that. Cindy Lauper never changed who she was just to try to be cool. And after a while, when Madonna did it, it's like, okay, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Time after time. That's a great song. Yeah. That is a great song. Yeah, there's nothing more to say than that. Do we need to sing it? We need to sing it. <laughs> I was singing it. <laughs> the number one song for June 1984 is by Denise Williams. Let's hear it for the boy. Let's give the boy a hand. Let's do it for my baby. 
<laughs> Pretty sure that was on the Footloose soundtrack. Say, yeah, that's gotta be. I think you're by the right. He's yeah. El Romeo. He's my number one man show. He's my one oh. show. Oh, 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 all right, well, that's going to bring us to the end of this part of the show. you got a comment or question, send us an email at contact at longboxcrusade.com. You can also leave a comment on Twitter at Longbox Crusade. And that's about it for this lost episode of Longbox Crusade. We hope you enjoyed dusting off another episode from our vault here in the studio. As with most of our special episodes, we won't have a feedback section on this one, but we'll be sure to include one in our upcoming official episodes of the Longbox Crusade. But just because we don't have a feedback section doesn't mean we don't love you all. Big thanks to everyone who takes the time to listen, like, share, retweet, and comment on the show. We love the community that we're building here so much. Thanks to all of you. We appreciate it. So until next time, take care. Please join us for the next episode as we continue on the crusade to read them. Read them all? <laughs> What's in your long box? Uh, oh, I gotta change that. 